So this morning, um, I would like to share with you from Deuteronomy chapter 8. As we're talking about the Word of God. It's a, a sad commentary in a way, but um, as we read through the book of Deuteronomy, uh, we're going to see that God is constantly calling His people to remember and to not forget. And the remembering that we're doing is we're remembering who God is and who is our source, where things come from, because everything good comes from Him. So I want to read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. And we're going to read the first five verses. So this is the last uh, testimony of Moses just before the children of Israel were getting ready to come into the promised land. They've been wandering out in the wilderness for 40 years in preparation and anticipation of this day. And so Moses is addressing him for the last time and then he's going to go up um, Mount Pisgah there and die. But the Israelites are going to carry on. And so this is very important. He's been the only leader that most of those people have ever known uh, as far as the one who has been in charge of the whole place. And he's about to leave. There's going to be a transition of leadership here to Joshua and the, uh, and the others. So this is what he says in chapter 8. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commandments. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes did not wear out and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. So as we've been speaking about the discipline of the Lord the last two or three Sundays, this is part of it as well. And it's an amazing thing. This is part of God's grace for these people as he led them through the wilderness wanderings. Now you remember that the reason that they had to, to wander in the wilderness for an additional 38 years was because of the sin which they had committed, the sin of unbelief. God had spoken and they failed to understand and put it into practice what God had told them. Although they had seen, they had heard, they had experienced his deliverance, his grace, his mercy. And so as an act of judgment, that whole generation was to wander into the wilderness until they had all passed away. And it was the new generation that would enter in. Well, the thing about it is that this group, as they're coming to know the Lord, um, he's reminding them that God had put them out there to, to humble them. And he put them in that wilderness and he says that God caused them to hunger. He caused them to be in a position of need and want which they did not have the ability or the resources to meet themselves. And so basically it was um, listen to God, obey His Word, or starve. 
And it wasn't just a, one, a once-off experience. It was a daily experience for 40 years. So God was teaching them, preparing them, helping them to understand. So the word was, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God. Now that's a very simple statement, isn't it? And yet, the Israelites struggled with that. Uh, Man does not live by bread alone. We really live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You know what? We struggle with that today. Even as Christians, we struggle, don't we? Man does not live by bread alone. It's more than just a physical existence on this world. There's more to life than just work and eating and sleeping and drinking. There's more to life than that. Real life comes by the word of the Lord. It's how did he create the world to begin with? It was through his word. How does he sustain us on a daily basis? It's through his word. So man does not live by bread alone, but you've got to have bread to live. No. Uh, he's, he didn't say not to eat. What he said was, don't make that your priority and your focus. And so what he's saying is, we need to keep our life in balance. And so man does not live by bread alone, but the bread is essential, and we all have to have it. And then the question comes, okay, where does the bread come from? Well, for 40 years in the wilderness, it came from a miraculous gift of God on a daily basis. Man does not live by bread alone, but bread is essential, and the bread itself is a gift from God. And we forget sometimes. Now, he's going to talk about that later on in this chapter. Um, So he says, for instance, in verse 17... He's saying once you come into the land and everything's good and you're settled, don't forget how God led you these 40 years through the land of scorpions and snakes and burning deserts. God protected you and watched over you, brought you 40 years through this place. And he says in verse 17, You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God... For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as it is today. He says, sometimes in our arrogance and in our pride we think, this is what I've done. And uh, yeah, it's a gift of God, but I've worked hard for this, you know, uh, and made sacrifices. And it's, it's it's been difficult at times. And God is saying, that's true. But... Who gave you the ability? Uh, Who gave you the opportunity, as Joe was talking about? Who created those things for you? Uh, These are all parts of God's gift. He knows our needs. And so he's calling us to remember where these things come from. They're gifts from God. So when you're born, you didn't have um, much say in your birth. I didn't have any in mine. (laughs) Nobody asked me. They didn't ask me where I wanted to be born. They didn't ask me when I wanted to be born. They didn't ask me who I wanted to choose as my parents. Nobody asked me any of those things. I just showed up and they was already there. (laughs) These were things that God has provided for us. And we need not to take these things for granted. Uh, These are all gifts of God. Our life from beginning to end and beyond, it's all gift and it's all a matter of God's grace and his mercy. 
So this one entire generation, 40 years, uh, they hear this and they experience this daily, 40 years. You hear and obey God's word or you starve. You hear it and obey. So the parent asks the child that day, did you eat today? Yes. God's faithful. Do you hope to eat tomorrow? Yes. God's faithful. Did you eat yesterday? Yes. God is faithful. And oftentimes, how, many do we, how often do we sit down and eat or drink or receive God's good gifts without ever thinking or acknowledging where it came from? God is faithful. And notice what he did for those 40 years. They had a very simple lifestyle, and it was great. For one thing, you had to eat the manna that day, and you couldn't keep any for the next day. So, no leftovers. None. <laughs> and you didn't have to worry, uh, well, what are we going to eat today? <laughs> What's on the menu? You didn't have to worry about that. Um, no arguments about where to eat or, or what we wanted to have for food. Um, so after this daily 40-year lesson, this generation, the one who actively lived that miraculous existence every day for 40 years, that was the generation that would go in and possess the promised land. Even then, mistakes were made. Even then, there was sin in the camp. And there was sin in the camp all along the way. And they were there in that wilderness all those years because of God's judgment. But even under the, on those people under the judgment of God... God still provided for them every day. God's grace, God's mercy, God's provision for His people, even His people under correction and under judgment. That's a tremendous statement about the grace of God. Sometimes we look around and we see all the, the bad things that are happening and some, some wicked, brutal, violent people, and you know we think, uh, man, God takes care of those people, and He does. He still provides for them. And it, sometimes it raises issues about the fairness of God. Why does he do that? It's because God is who he is. It's his nature and character. And as Jesus said, God, we're supposed to be like God because God causes the rain to fall upon the just and the unjust. And he provides his blessings even for people who abuse those blessings and who do not respond to the God who gave them. He still provides it. That's the grace of God. It's a continuous witness. And all they have to do is open their hearts and their eyes and their ears to receive that witness. So that's one of the things the Word of God does for us, as Joe mentioned this morning. It opens our hearts and it begins to be the instrument that God uses to create faith and to bring conviction of sin. So by the Word of the Lord... The manna was there, God's grace. You can trust God to do what he promises. God is faithful. Repeated every day for 40 years. So part of the directions that he gave we find in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 through 21. So not only do we live by, God's, by the grace of God, God's word, he tells them in chapter 11, verse 18, Fix these words of mine on your hearts and minds. 
Tie them as symbols on your hands. That's what the, the Jews had, the phylacteries. That's what those were. They would actually put portions of scripture and wrap it around their, their wrist. And if you go to a, uh, Israel or you're in the presence of Orthodox Jews to this day, you'll see them. They, have a, they do that. Sometimes they bind it on their foreheads, as he tells them. Um, Tie them as symbols on your hands. Buy them, bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give to your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. So they have the... Uh, again, on Orthodox Jewish homes, they have a, a little, usually it's bronze or brass, and it's tacked to the door. And in that contains a portion of Deuteronomy, and a good Orthodox Jew will touch that on their way out, and they'll touch it on the way in. And when they're touching it, they're remembering the Scriptures. And what are they remembering? They're remembering Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Write them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So... He said it twice now. And so it's an important thing. So why does he do that? Why does he keep telling them that they have to teach it constantly, reminding them when you get up, when you go down, when you go in, when you go out? Um, talk about it when you walk along. Why? Because they're going into a land of idolatry, and they've come out of one, out of Egypt, a land of idolatry. They're going in to a land of idolatry. And the temptations will be great around them. And the temptation not only is to, to look at the idols, but the temptation is also to look at the bread alone. <coughs> to get so caught up in the daily routines of life that we forget the presence and the blessing of God that makes all this possible and the gifts that he gives to us every day. And so he was telling them, as part of the discipline in your life, be in the word daily. And not just once a day, constantly be putting it in your heart, in your minds. Uh, put it where you can see it. Make sure that you understand it. Remind your children about it because they too are going to be in areas of temptation. And the idea is to be led astray to the idols, the false gods that promise a lot and give nothing but what's going to harm you. And the temptation is to go about your life and forget God. Just forget Him. Bread alone. And so he says, okay, you need to be reminded. The word of the Lord, the faithfulness of God. Now the thing about, uh, used to be in this country, before we got so, as a nation, caught up in lies and deceit as a people. Before we got so caught up in control and manipulation and selfishness, used to be, years ago in this country, all you had to do was give your word and a handshake, and that was it. Because a man's word was only as good as the man. 
And if you had a man of character, all it took was his word. You don't need a promise. You don't need a contract. You don't need a bunch of lawyers coming around threatening you and telling you all. It was just, if you made an agreement and shook hands on it, that was the end of it. And you trusted each other. And even if they weren't Christians, you could still trust the guy to do what he promised because we were people of character. It's not that way anymore. And it's a sad thing. Even uh, in businesses that are supposed to be run by Christians, watch your back these days. And it's a sad commentary on us. So a man's word still, even to the present day, is only as good as the man who gives it. And so what a person promises is built on their character. So Jesus put it this way, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And if you're a man of principle, a person of principle, and you give your word, then that should be enough because it's based on the character of the one who gave it. So this is why God was saying to us, you don't live on bread alone. You live on the word of God. And the word of God is an expression of who God is. Now we know that fully, completely as Christians, don't we? Because of Jesus. He is the living word of God. The word made flesh and dwelt among us. He embodied not just a book, not just words. He embodied it and lived it. Now the problem uh, here in the book of Deuteronomy was that this generation that had walked with God for these 40 years and seen the miracles that were done and experienced His provision and His blessing every day for 40 years in their life. Now they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And the day that they crossed over the Jordan River, the manna stopped. Now that would have been quite a thing, wouldn't it? That's all the main diet that they had had for 40 years. It had been there every day, their whole entire life, some of these people, for 40 years. And now it's gone. Because God had something, a lot more variety, a lot more provision, a land that was producing everything that they needed. And it was there for them. That whole generation, let me read it, in the book of Judges. And here's the sad part. Judges chapter 2, verse 6 through 10. After Joshua had dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to his own inheritance. The people served the Lord, and here carefully listen to this, the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. So as long as, the, as Joshua and the elders lived, that generation was solid. For the most part. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land of his inheritance. And then you get to verse 10. After that whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. And I ask, how can that be? A whole generation coming up 
who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. I want to challenge us to look around at what's happening in this country right now. We've got a generation that's coming up who doesn't know anything about church, doesn't know the scripture, doesn't know right from wrong other than what they get out of movies and television and magazines or on the um, social media, and we're in trouble. Now, we've been a Christian nation, supposed to have been a Christian nation. Now the president tells us we're not. And so what's, I'm asking what's happening to the next generation that's coming. This generation that knew Joshua and those elders, they walked with the Lord, but somehow they neglected what he, God had told them in Deuteronomy. Were they not talking about it? Were they not writing it? Were they not teaching their children as God commanded them? And that's a question for you and I today as Christians, isn't it? Are we doing in our own homes what God has asked us to do? Or are we going to end up like the book of Judges? A generation that neither knows God or knows what He has done for us. Now, one of the problems is that you cannot pass on to another your own relationship with God. Each person, each individual, has to come to a personal knowledge and relationship with God. You can't impart that. What we can do by repetition, by teaching, and most of all, by training and example, by God's grace, we may be able to make the introduction, but that person must develop and grow in that relationship themselves or not. We wish we could make decisions for our children or for our grandchildren. We can't because it's a personal thing. It's not that they know us, it's that they know Him. We pray for them, intercede for them, try to provide guidance and direction for them, but it's between them and God, their hearts and the Lord. And so what happened in this generation that Judges is talking about? It sets up a whole cycle. And as you go through the book of Judges, you've got cycle after cycle. Uh, a generation comes up, they don't know the Lord, and they do things, horrible things, and they come under the judgment of God, and God sends a thorn uh, oppression. They're defeated militarily, economically, politically, socially. They're oppressed. And they cry out in bondage, that generation. They'll cry out to God. God in His mercy hears their prayers and brings them out. And the generation that's brought out, they walk with the Lord over and over again, but the next generation doesn't, and they're back in the whole cycle again. And so you see that over and over and over again in the book of Judges, in the book of Samuel, in the books of Kings, in the books of Chronicles. You see it over and over and over again. And if you look at the history of this country, uh, we could talk about the Great Awakening in the 1700s and the Second Great Awakening in the 1800s, early revivals at the early 1900s. But what's happened since? And what about this generation? So we can introduce them, and that's all that we can do. Now, Jesus understood this. And you remember when uh, during the wilderness temptation, Jesus out in the wilderness um, 
been out there for 40 days and 40 nights, and it says afterwards she was hungry. Um, and it was then that the devil came to him and started to tempt him. Now, don't, don't misunderstand the scriptures. If you look in the Gospel of Luke, in his account, he says that all during every day during this 40, 40 days, there was a temptation going on. It wasn't like nothing was happening, and then at the end, Satan comes and tempts him. It was the whole time was a period of testing and trial. And that's what was going on in the 40 years wilderness, wasn't it? God put him out there to test them, to see what was in their heart, to know whether they would keep and follow God's commands or not. Jesus lived that out. 40 days. And at the end of it, the devil comes and challenges him to turn the stones into bread because he's at the part where he's beginning to starve now. And he's hungry. It's not like, you know, oh, I think I need to go get a little snack here. It's not that kind of a deal. I mean, he's at the point of starvation now. His body's going to start uh, feeding on itself. Uh, when you start starving. It's at that point that the devil came and tempted him to act on his own initiative for his own benefit for bread alone. And Jesus quotes this verse from Deuteronomy 8 that we read this morning. Uh, Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so he says... I'm going to trust God. Now, he was in a position he could have done something about it. He could have turned that stone into bread. He could have done that. But he refused to do that. He's going to act, only do what God tells him to do, only say what God tells him to say. He understood that. I think it must have been a very sorrowful thing in the book of John, chapter 6. This is uh, the turning point in Jesus' ministry from an outward viewpoint. <clears throat> Up to this point, there had been conflict, there had been opposition, but there was an incredible, um, we would look at it in terms of revival and church growth. Tons of people were coming. Tons of people, thousands of them were coming to hear, eager to hear. People were being healed. People were being delivered from evil spirits. People were being, miracles were taking place, uh, walking on water and... and um, <laughs> That kind of stuff, um, dead raised, lepers cleansed, all kinds of stuff was going on, and people by their thousands were coming. Until you get to John 6 in, in John's gospel. John 6 is where Jesus um, fed the 5,000 out in the wilderness with a couple of fish and a, a few rolls of bread. 5,000 men plus women and children. Tremendous revelation of God's provision and character. Um, he'd spent all day teaching them. But what was the one thing they remembered at the end of the day? Hey, there's 5,000 men plus women and children, thousands of people out here, and this guy fed us all. We didn't have to do anything. It was there. So the next day, um, of course, Jesus was walking on the water and all of that with the disciples, and... Uh, they, didn't, they couldn't figure out the people because they went by land. They couldn't figure out how Jesus got from the mountain because all the ships were gone and he wasn't with them. But yet when they got there, he was already there and they didn't know how he got there. But the one question they asked, they were seeking after him. But they were seeking because it was lunchtime again. 
They weren't seeking for God. They weren't seeking Him because of a hunger within their heart. They were seeking for Him because of a hunger in our belly. Now, we do the same thing, don't we? We want the blessings of God, but we don't want any responsibility, any accountability. We don't want to do anything. We just want to sit down and have God take care of us. Uh, And so we've created a welfare state in this country, haven't we? We've created that. A people, an entitlement feeling among people. Uh, What would you do to be born? Nothing. But I'm here now, so you owe it to me to take care of me. (laughs) Come on, you owe it to me. I'm here. I'm not here because I want to be. I'm just here. So you owe it to me to take care of me. Come on. And we've, we've created that. But oftentimes in the church, we, have, we act the same way, don't we? Okay, God, I've accepted you as my Savior. Uh, I'm sure glad that you're, you're so excited that I've come to know you, and I, I know the kingdom wouldn't be anywhere near what it should be without me. So here I am. I'm, I'm here for, to receive your blessings. And that's what they did. They sought after the Lord eagerly. And Jesus begins to challenge them. And um, that's what they did not like, and that's what they did not want. Um, Man shall not live by bread alone, but they thought that's where our strength, our health, our life, our comfort, that's where all of that comes from. And so we are looking to the Lord to provide that for us. And here Jesus is, the Word of God in the flesh, and they're looking for a piece of bread. So they didn't understand and they didn't know. So Jesus tells them, John 6, verse 41, he's been telling them about um, he being the bread of life and they needed to eat his body and drink his blood and that really freaked them out because they were taking all of this very literally. And they said, well, we're not cannibals. How's he going to give us his, you know, chew on a finger or something? I don't know. They didn't know what he meant um, because they were still thinking bread. So he's telling them about eternal life and that he himself is the word of God and he will give them eternal life, not like the manna where you ate it and then you ended up dying in the desert, but the kind of life that goes on forever. So in verse 41, at this the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And so Jesus talks to them and he says, stop grumbling among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Now here they have the opportunity, God in their presence. That's been the promise from the beginning. I will be your God and you will be my people. And here he is, he's come down personally, he's there. They have the opportunity to be taught by God face to face. And they're thinking about lunch. And so he tells them again, I am the bread of life. Then verse 52. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And so Jesus goes through it again and explains it. And he said that he did this when he was teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. And so they're in a church service. In a synagogue service, Jesus is teaching and he's telling them it's not by bread alone. It's by the word of God. 
And Jesus stood up and he said, I am that word embodied. Well, what's the response of, of the disciples now? Uh, the ones who've been grumbling are Jews. They're the ones who have, are looking to criticize. These are the ones who are opposed to Jesus. Now in verse 60, on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Now it's those who've left everything to follow him. Now it's those who want to sit at his feet to learn. Now these are the ones saying, wait a minute, uh, you've gone a little too far here. I'm ready to go this far with you, Lord, but no farther. So I wonder if that's what's taking place in some of us, in our churches, Sunday after Sunday, to faithful people who come regularly, the disciples. I'll go this far, Lord, but no more. So one of the biggest problems in the church is people who have made a decision to follow the Lord to a point and no farther. So they started grumbling about it. Aware that his disciples, verse 61, were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Remember he had said earlier, Blessed is the one who doesn't take offense in me. And the gospel, the radical, what it really means to walk with Jesus is offensive. It's offensive to everything our culture stands for. It's countercultural. Because our culture tells you to, to think about yourself and nobody else. And you get what you want for yourself because nobody's going to give it to you. So you get, you grab, you clutch, you grasp, you hang on, you deceive, you lie, you steal, you control, you manipulate everybody that I'm taking care of here. That's our culture. That's our society. That's our media. And we're bombarded with it 24 hours a day in one form or another. So that's why we need the discipline of being in God's Word like God was telling his people. So Jesus says, wait a minute, it's the spirit that gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Man does not live by bread alone. As Christians, we need to hear that regularly. We don't live by bread alone. We live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. And what was the response of these disciples? Verse 66. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Until you get to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I will follow, Lord, until you get to that garden. And when they come to arrest you, I'm out of here. <laughs> and I may follow, but if I do, it's going to be at a distance. And if challenged, I will deny I ever, ever knew you. I have decided to follow Jesus. And that's why the church is not stronger in this country today. Because we have disciples who haven't decided to follow Jesus. And we tend to think 
It's only by bread alone. So many disciples turned back and said, this is a hard saying. And so this is what um, the, the quote I was giving was from Dallas Willard. Most problems in contemporary churches can be explained by the fact that members have not yet decided to follow Christ. And so that's where we are. So many, so, so many of them left that Jesus went back to the twelve, these men that had been with him the longest and had sacrificed the most. And he looks at the twelve and he said, Do you want to leave too? And Peter speaks up for the rest of them, as he normally did, and he asks a good question. Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. And it's a good question. If we're not going to follow Jesus, then who are we going to follow? Because we will follow somebody. So everybody follows somebody. We get to pick out who. And it may just be yourself, but you're following somebody. Peter had it right. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God, the Word of God. So we have a, a, a problem there. Jesus ran into this problem of undiscipled disciples. And what he's telling us is we don't live by bread alone. We, we live by the Word of God. And as the Word of God lives within us, then we should be experiencing and living out in daily life what we call the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is grace and peace and joy. Um, you know, the nine of them that are listed there. And that's not a complete total list. Uh, there are others, things which are evidence of God's presence in our hearts and lives. So a, a decision is a desire or settled intent to be like Jesus. And that's the goal of discipleship, isn't it? To be like Jesus. That's what the name Christian means. Christ-like ones. To become like Him. John, in his first letter to the churches, the general letter there, he says, in this world, in this world, we are like Him. And that's the call. For the Word of God to become so a part of our life that it becomes incarnational within us, in the flesh, in our flesh, because of His presence with us. So we don't live by bread alone. We live by the Word, every word that comes from the mouth of God. As Christians, we need to remember it. Uh, he has the words of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for your presence and your promise and the hope that we have that the words that you've sp spoken and the words that you've lived will not return empty, but will accomplish what you have sent it to do. We pray that would be a reality in our hearts, in our lives, in our homes. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.